podcast with me, Angela Barnes, and... John O'Farrell joining Angela here. And uh, if you haven't listened before, we are a pair of history nerds, aren't we, John? That's right. We have uh, very scant history qualifications between us, but we are very interested in the olden days. Yes, yes. And the not-so-olden days. And the not-so-olden days. Today... Apparently, A-level history now goes up to the early 2000s, which makes me cry. It's, uh, it's a bit depressing when you remember history. It is. It is. Um, so, so what are we doing here, John? Today we are talking about pigeons. We are talking about how World War Two was won by pigeons. some little birds. <laughs> yeah. Well, I this was. Had you heard about the pigeons at war before I um, raved on at you about them after my little visit to uh, Bletchley Park? No, I was intrigued actually. And um, when you first suggested this as a subject for a podcast, I was like, is there much in this? I was just imagining them as homing pigeons, sending messages, uh, like, you know, uh, courier pigeons. Yeah. And that's what I started to read about. And I read about uh, how they had been used since, you know, ancient times. In 1150 BC, I read the Sultan of Baghdad was sending uh, messages in war uh, via uh, pigeons. They were used in uh, the siege of Paris. They were. Uh, in 1870 to get messages out. Um, Julius Caesar? Allegedly. Julius Caesar, yes. So the the um, news of the conquest of Gaul was communicated by pigeons. And I thought, well, this is all fairly interesting. Um, other birds that I read about being used in wartime. Uh, at the beginning of the First World War, the French experimented with parrots on the top of the I Eiffel Tower. I can't imagine. A, a parrots don't exactly blend in in Paris, do they? Well, I, this, this was an early warning system. So they wanted to know when German planes were coming so planes were a very new thing in 1914 of course so they had parrots installed on the top of the eiffel tower and i think the idea was to say there is a german plane coming or something <laughs> <laughs> no, that would have been Pretty a poly german plane uh, 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 arrive or something uh, and um but the parrots stupid things that they were could not tell the difference between german planes and french planes so the oh well what the, idiots i know the experiment was abandoned i have to say it's a pretty Eccentric experiment, anyway. Yeah, of all the birds to choose, I mean, obviously parrots. Yeah, no, it seems a weird. Yeah, surely people. Are people, better. that's a better idea. Maybe <laughs> the point was their hearing was good, and they would, you know, uh, be an advanced warning system. Um, so that was abandoned. But the only bird, really, that has been US used throughout history, uh, and we're going to come up to the Second World War in a bit, is the pigeon. Our little rats of the sky. The rats of the sky that we see. We around moan London. about them. They poo on us, but actually. They're very useful. I'll talk about the First World War first, Angela, yeah. before we get onto the main meat of it, as, as, <laughs> oh, often, oh. End, as it often ended up when <laughs> hungry soldiers were surrounded by pigeons. In fact, do you remember the Blackadder episode when Speckled Jim gets cooked, killed oh, and yes. cooked by Captain Blackadder? Well, that's true. I read this book back in 1919, it was written. I didn't read it then. I'm not that old. Um, <laughs> but uh, he talks about birds in the First World War and the great service they had done sending messages. And um, but one of them was a, one of them was a, a case of a, a Batman, uh, not not Batman as in Batman and Robin, the Batman who worked for an officer, <laughs> Batman and Pigeon, being being um, being uh, court-martialed for eating his master's pigeon. So oh, that really? whole scene in Blackout, I don't know if they're aware of this, but he was uh, charged with uh, cooking the pigeon, and um, they said. Um, what about the basket that it came in? He goes, well, you've got to make a fire with something, sir. So they, <laughs> they cook the whole thing. So poor Speckled Jim who dies in Blackadder, that's, uh, that's probably based on truth. But they were, you know, when the arrival of um, the uh, Marconi Gram and uh, wireless communication, the mm. thought was that they wouldn't need pigeons anymore, that they were old-fashioned and that they were, you know, uh, oh. belonged to the olden days. But, but of course... But when things break down, yeah. the birds keep going, you see. So pigeons became uh, quite essential in the First yeah. World War. They're very fast. 
You know, you release a pigeon and it sends the message back. They would send messages from the front line, yep. right, back to yep. the, uh, where the orders were being. Where, where General Melchett was, you yes. know, in a comfy <laughs> bit with a, with a lovely rose dinner. And, um, and it's funny, you read these books and some of them, like I read the Jilly Cooper book, Animals at War, and it's all, it's all sort of couched in these brave little messengers. They were determined to get the message through. <laughs> and it's all sort of like as if the pigeons knew what was going on. And, but to uh, be, I mean, they have been awarded for their bravery, haven't they? Dickens Medal was given to absolutely. loads of pigeons. Absolutely. Um, well, there's a whole parliamentary uh, sort of committee that met on this at the end of the Second World War saying, you know, dogs are getting medals. Do we give medals to pigeons? Uh, and people saying, well, they had no idea what they were doing. They were just... As if the dogs did. I know. As if the dogs <laughs> were going, well, I'm sort of not sympathetic to the Nazis' cause. So, so yeah, anti dogs got... Anti-fascist dogs. Anti-fascist dogs. I think my dog an anti-fascist <laughs> so uh they did get pigeons in the end because it was it was a judge that some pigeons had been more determined to get back than others and so those ones deserve recognition i mean this is the british at their nuttiest isn't it amazing only well i say only britain actually the french awarded their pigeons did they uh with the legion d'honneur or whatever it's yeah and then ate them and then, <laughs> and then ate them, them almost certainly and then ate them um so, so i i so, first became aware of these when i went to bletchley park yeah, uh, on my birthday because that's how I roll. Yeah, and um, and there was a little exhibition in one of the huts called Pigeons at War, and uh, my fellow and I walked in and we sort of went, "Oh, Pigeons at War, that's funny." Yeah, and then we're fascinated. It was just this amazing story, and not only were pigeons used for carrying messages in the war, but as spies, right, uh, for espionage, um, during the war. So what happened? Um, Mi fourteen. Which, yes, unless not you, know, hear, you hear, don't hear about MI14. You don't hear much. about MI14 so much because uh, it no longer exists. Um, but they were uh, an intelligence gathering unit uh, specialising in gathering German intelligence during the Second World War. Right. And they came up with this Operation Columba, it was called. Right. Columba being the Latin for, for pigeon, pigeon, I have learned. There you go. <laughs> and they came up with this idea of um, parachuting pigeons into occupied France, Belgium, and the Netherlands. Indeed. And then requesting information from local resistance fighters, which could then be loaded onto the pigeon, and it could be released to come back to the UK with the information on German manoeuvres and so on. Yes. So we both... Uh, Angela recommended this book to me, Secret Pigeon Service by Gordon Carrera. Yes. And that is uh, uh, the sort of... My, I think both our main sources on this, having sort of and having spotted this sort of bizarre little sort of episode in the war. Now, many in the, the secret services were pretty snooty about this idea of using pigeons. They yeah. thought it was pretty unsophisticated. haphazard, unsophisticated. And well, there's one quote I thought which sort of uh, struck true with me that they didn't think it was very macho. They didn't think it fitted <laughs> the devil, devil sort of may care, suave spy image or that they like to put out about themselves. Something that's really struck me while reading about this is that kind of weird macho rivalry that was in the intelligence services yes. during that period that hadn't, of course there is. I mean, it was run yeah. by yeah. public school men, men. Yeah. public school boys. Of yeah. course there were silly rivalries and yeah. one-upmanship and, and conflict. So you had the, you had MI5 and MI6, which we, you know, we know more about. Yeah. You also had the special operations executive, yes. which were Churchill's little band of um, uh, spies, if you like, to help resistance fighters. So we were a sort of sabotage operation across occupied territories, occupied right. Europe. And um, and they were seen as being a bit gung-ho and a bit yes. sort of, um, of a much lower quality than your MI5 or MI6 officer. 
And then you had MI14. And then, of course, you had military intelligence. And all of this stuff going on. And all of these people not really working together. I know. And what dangers that yeah. ended up having for the people on the ground. But we'll come on to that. But the actual idea, let's just explain this actual idea of yeah. what they did. Because it's sort of, sort of rather wonderful in its simplicity. Yeah. They had this little basket they'd put a pigeon in it yeah. they'd put some seed in it yeah. and a pencil and some rice paper and explaining in french or dutch or uh, or whatever uh, to whoever found the bird please send details of uh, you know german military emplacements please yeah. tell us where the coastal defenses are also tell us if you can hear the bbc broadcasts all right um and uh, Instructions for how to write it out on the paper, fit the canister to the leg of the pigeon, uh, and um, just to make them sure that this was a bona fide British message, they put a copy of the Daily Mail in the basket. And it's like, just to be really clear that they were against the Nazis, uh, the black shirts. So not only did these resistance fighters get a pigeon, they also got photos of celebrities and how their cellulite was and um, articles about how big Zadie's house was, um, even though she thinks she's a lefty. So uh, this, is, this was uh, uh, what these um, farmers outplan their fields in the middle of 1941 would be there. Yep. And they'd suddenly see this basket, go, what the hell is that? They'd open it up and there'll be a pigeon, pigeon inside. inside. Uh, and often a little poorly pigeon at that point. They might have um, been there for a few days. Yeah, so they would have instructions, like you say, to feed and look after the pigeon. And and, oh. and there's a dog excited <laughs> about the idea of a pigeon. <laughs> so they'd have instructions to feed and look after the pigeon while they gathered yes. the intelligence. And of course, the Germans, we have to remember, they also used yes. pigeons. Pigeons in warfare is quite common. So. Yes. You had to be sure this was a British pigeon. Yes, hence the British newspaper. Hence the British newspaper. And um, and what would happen, because of course these are all homing pigeons. So yes. they're rock pigeons, a certain, yes. who have the homing instinct. Yes. And during that period, obviously, uh, particularly working class Britain, pigeon fancying was a big thing. Yes. You know, people raced their pigeons. And, and, and so. Tens these, of thousands of. Brits had to give up their pigeons to, their, the, to the pigeon war effort. Pigeon sort of commandeered for yes. the war effort. And they were given, they were paid and they were yes. given extra food rations for allowing their pigeons to be used. They weren't told exactly what it was? or No, they had no idea how important their pigeons' yeah. jobs were. Um, um, now, the story from the book that's really interesting that it sort of centres around is the Leopold Vindictive yes. pigeons. So uh, we're in Belgium. Yes. And a uh, family is out in their land in rural Belgium mm-hmm. and discover one of these pigeon parachutes that's landed in. Yes, and and, and 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 uh, this is like a priest called Raskin, is it? Yeah, well, he was a friend of the oh, family okay, who right. found it. So Joseph Raskin was a priest, a scholar. Um, he'd been in China. Yes. He'd um, uh, as a missionary, and he was very much uh, part of the resistance against. Uh, yeah. the occupied forces. Yeah. So the family went to him for advice on what to do. And he decided that they should, or they decided as a group that they should indeed gather intelligence yeah. and attach it to this little yeah. pigeon that they'd found they and send just, it back. They didn't just write a few messages. 
did they? No. So on the small piece of rice paper that they had, and this is one of the few, I think, that it's um, in the National Archives, so you can still see it. It's called Message Number 37. Right. And it's these beautiful, there's a picture of it in the book, these beautiful little yeah. detailed maps. But basically they, they mapped the entire Belgian coast, I think. Yeah, they? where With all the all military the placements, placements and... were, yeah. what was going on in their day-to-day lives. Um, yeah. You know, and... and who you know the level of resistance that there was the fact that there were yeah you know saboteurs operating in the yes. area and things like that yes. so it was incredible they... it was an incredible sort of piece of art really to look at the as, as angela says the pictures in the in the uh, carrera book that i mentioned and it's they, to get that much information onto this tiny bit of paper that they folded up into the mm-hmm. uh, canister on the leg of one pigeon yeah. sort of basically set out the whole situation vis-a-vis the sort of German defences and, and military installations and, and headquarters. If there was to be an invasion yeah. of Britain based from Germany, they knew where the HQ would have been. Because at this point of the war, Britain yeah. were pretty certain that Germany was going to invade. Yes. Um, so they wanted to know what their plans Yeah, and where, where the embarkation were, where points would be. And, exactly. Yeah. Um, so these guys did an incredible job. And it, and it took like two days, I think, for this For the pigeon, pigeon to come back. Yeah. So they sent the, well, they gathered all the intelligence. Yeah. Raskin drew it. He was a skilled draftsman. Yes. And so he drew it all onto all this. All in secret. And, and yeah. rice paper, all in secret. And, and of course, you know, had they been caught with this pigeon, they would have all been shot. You know, yes. it was, yes. uh, um, you, you could be, if you were found with a pigeon in occupied France or Belgium or, yes. or you, you know, you wouldn't get many chances to. So, uh, so lots of the pigeons that were dropped were handed over to the Germans. Absolutely, um, yeah, or found by the Germans. Yes, I mean the thing we have to remember that in 1940, 41, um, Belgium and France, Netherlands as occupied countries were starved by the Germans. All the meat yeah. was taken back to Germany. They were given, you know, uh, forced to survive on subsistence rations, mm. and a pigeon lands in your back garden. Yeah. You have a sort of choice to make you go mm, i've got my family here haven't had meat for three weeks or yep. should i hand this pigeon over to the germans or should we do the honorable thing and uh and risk, uh, our, and lives risk our lives and our family i think pie. let's just have pigeon pie for dinner yeah. so i think uh, there was a lot of pigeon, pigeon pie, pie on the belgian coast <laughs> in 1941 <laughs> yeah um uh, so yeah so there was um uh the, the success rate obviously they, they dropped an awful lot of pigeons and about, well, I think it was something like 10% came back or something. Quite yeah, a low not a huge percentage came back with valuable information. And those that did, often the information oh, yeah. was, you know, typically of, of, British of, of, way about, yeah. of, of, well, we've got this information, but what do we do yeah. with it? Of course, if it was now, of course, people would just do selfies, wouldn't they? They'd yeah. just do little, uh, <laughs> you okay, hun, smiley emoji, uh, sad face, sad face. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, 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 the messages that came back, and all sorts did come back, but were like, yeah. Why have you not invaded yet? Or yeah. uh, we are hungry. Please drop food. Or um, where are you? We're waiting. Yes, where are you? We're waiting. Or I hate the informers and this bloke's a bit. You know, this man uh, has betrayed us. Kill him when you get here. So there's all sorts of fairly useless information that yeah. came back. You know, but you know the, the Leopold uh, vindictive team yeah. were by far the sort of best at this and and sort of justified the whole operation in itself. I think. Well, yeah. Unfortunately for the team themselves, though, it didn't end so well. So Raskin, who was the priest who yeah. had done the beautiful drawings, he'd requested that the British respond to his message to, to let them know that they'd received it yes. by um, signalling on radio broadcasts. So the right. BBC would broadcast to 
occupied territories and they would have certain signals that they would give yes so the whole whole v for victory thing comes from the bbc yeah uh with belgium actually because the word uh, victoire uh, in is french and the word i can't remember what the flemish word for freedom is but that begins with a v as well so they thought let's say paint a big v in the streets of belgium if you uh support this so v for victory or v for freedom became the big uh, rallying cry for the belgians and it started to appear all over belgium as a sort of sign of resistance. And the Morse code uh, letter for V is da 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 da. Uh, so <laughs> that's why that was played at the beginning of all of the um, BBC overseas services messages. Right. It's a very good book by the Edward Stoughton, actually, about uh, uh, the BBC uh, during the war. So the V for Victory thing came out of this Belgian radio s- yeah. s- uh, s- uh, transmissions. So th- this. And they posed, they posed with them, didn't they? They posed with the big Vs. They, they did, yes. they did. And they well, they got together and they had... The, the, we should also go back to say why they were called Leopold Vindictive. Oh, yes, Leopold was the so king So Leopold was the king of Belgium uh, who um, had decided to stay yeah. um, after occupation rather than go and, and rule in exile. Um, to, to, to the dismay of some. To the dismay of many Belgians who felt that by yes. staying he was collaborating with the... Yes. Regime. However, um, his reason for staying mm. was that in World War One, his father had stayed and yes. was celebrated for yes. staying. So he'd felt that he was doing the right My thing. My uncle was in Belgium in the, at the time in the British forces and hated the King of Belgium for this. So they felt they'd yeah. been betrayed and he'd surrendered when they were still behind the lines. Yeah. And so... Uh, my uh, my publican uncle would swear about the King of Belgium till the day he died, uh, but uh, poor Leopold uh, so, stayed. So took... Leopold came from that. Uh, Raskin was his priest. Yes. Um they they had a relationship. He yes. gave communion, I believe, to yes. to the royal family. So he had that link. Yeah. And Vindictive was the name of HMS Vindictive was a battleship. Was a it? battleship. Yeah. Um, so that's where the name Leopold Vindictive came from. And they got the BBC to. Say they'd got the message. To say that they'd got the message, to indicate to them that the message had been received. Yes. And they also said in the message that they would like further pigeons yes, said, to be dropped pigeons. so they could send back more yes. information. They were busy during this whole period. They were busy gathering more information. The family of the, of the farm where it landed yeah. and uh, Raskin and another network that he was linked in with, another rec- uh, yeah. uh, network of resistance, um, were all busy gathering yeah. this information. They needed more pigeons yeah. so they could get it back. I mean, just imagine how the atmosphere in that room when they first heard that message on the BBC that this amazing map that they had done had been received by the British yeah. and that their work was of great value and that BBC, BBC was sort of sending message of encouragement and, and thanks and Absolutely. saying, you know, we, uh, we won't forget you. Now, unfortunately, Raskin got a bit um, impatient. Yes. Waiting for this other pigeon to be dropped. So they, they made several attempts to drop pigeons. The problem with dropping pigeons... Yeah was who was going to do it. Because in order and, to, yeah. to drop a pigeon from a parachute, you need an aeroplane to yep. fly over enemy territory. Yes. Um, so they tended to be dropped, the pigeons, during bombing uh, raids. Or, or other other Or other, other operations. Yeah, yeah. because they, know, they wouldn't go out specifically to drop Just pigeons. Just to drop a couple of pigeons. The RAF the, were a bit busy. Well, also, they, they showed you the low status of this operation. They Absolutely. didn't think it was as important. So if they were dropping an actual spy, they thought that was important. Uh, but the pigeons less so. Yeah. In fact, the success rate of the spies was not much greater than the pigeons. No. And of course, spies would be dropped with pigeons. That's right. When well, they dropped spies I've into I've... occupied territory, they dropped them with a pigeon so they could send back yes. the pigeon to let people know that they'd arrived safely. I've got a note here. Pigeon bra. There was a yes. special There was a special, <laughs> special means bra. of transporting pigeons known as the pigeon bra. Yeah. Because um, again, if you pi- were caught with a pigeon... 
Yeah. You know, you could just same. walk down the streets with a pigeon. The Germans I just, shoot This is you. just where I like to keep my pigeons. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, who hasn't worn a pigeon bra at one time or another? I'm wearing one now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so... Uh, they they landed with pigeon bras and, um, and then they could release and then the they could saying, release the pigeons yeah, to say I'm here or I'm here or or, or help I've messed yeah, up I've been, um, yeah I'm under I'm in the attack. wrong place yeah. or so um, so they did attempt I think a couple of times to drop pigeons for several reasons they couldn't pinpoint the location of the drop or yeah. whatever that these it's pigeons quite hard to sort of you know from from high up absolutely because you didn't want to just drop just... them anywhere where they could just fall into German hands and, which or, lots of them did of course which a lot yeah. of them did. So eventually, uh, Raskin started looking for other ways of getting information back to London, yes. um, trying to look for people with working radio sets, which yes. were hard to come by. For transmitters, um, yeah. For transmitters. And, yeah. and also because you know, there's a big risk if you're transmitting that that can be intercepted and you can be found mm-hmm. with a transmitter. Um, and eventually, uh, Raskin was... Um, betrayed yep. by he because he broadened out the network and linked him with other and of course yeah. the bigger you make a network the more chance there is for betrayal and eventually somebody came to the um, uh, what's the name of the what's the monastery yep. where he was and pretending to be a beggar and he was actually uh, a German uh, informer right. agent and they he got the information out of Raskin and told um the Germans where he was and what he'd done and he ended up being captured along with the other uh, members of Leopold Vindictive. And they were... And they were guillotined That's in right. Dortmund in 1942. So they were taken to prison. They were given a trial. The Germans had this weird, or the Nazis had this weird sort of... Um, Quasi sort of... Sort of uh, justice. justice. Yeah, yeah. They, you know, they were tried and... You would have a trial, but, yeah. it, you know, the outcome was... was pretty predestined. <laughs> pretty predestined. And... Um, yeah, so um, um, so they uh, so poor uh, the poor members of Leopold Vindictive uh, were uh, gave their lives uh, yeah. for getting this information across, and um, you know back at HQ in London they were thinking, is it worth it? Is this information worth the lives and the people we're putting at risk, the ordinary members of the resistance? But you know this is a war between you know a war of national survival, war for the future of Europe, and. Um, um, the pigeons was just one of many, many operations which mm. uh, um, which people lost their lives and resistance fighters, of course, lost their lives on many fronts. I think we should have a cup of tea, Angela, yep. whilst we toast the good people of Leopold Vindictive and the Honourable Pigeons and, um, and we'll come back after this break. Absolutely. talking about pigeons in the first world war and more now on the second world war about how they were used as means for the resistance to communicate with uh, the british security forces giving information uh, of all sorts back to the british uh, via pigeons um randomly dropped really across northern france belgium holland and uh, in the hope that people patriots and people resisting the nazi occupation would Right, scribble out things and send messages and send back, back to Britain. Yeah. Now, of course, uh, the Germans were well onto this. The Germans yes. became what they called pigeon-minded. Yes, when they realised a German that... compound. Yeah. now that I'm sure. <laughs> and um, and so there were several strategies to, yeah. to sort of counter this 
this uh, means of communication. Uh, one was, um, well, there's a natural predator of the pigeon is the falcon. Of course. Um, so along the, the French coast, yes. the uh, Germans introduced falcons to attack. This really is hawks and doves, isn't pigeon. it? It really is yeah. hawks and doves. <laughs> and then, of course, what happened then, the, the British, because the Germans had pigeons too. Yes. Um, and when the British realised that falcons were killing their pigeons, yes. they had a cull of hawks on yes, the... Yes, I think it was peregrine falcons. Peregrine they, falcons, yes, which that's are, right. Which are incredible birds. And if you've ever seen them, they are now the greatest concentration of peregrine falcons in the world is now in New York City. Where is they, that true? They, they, live, uh, they, they live on the pigeons, uh, the, 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 you know, the feral pigeons of, yeah. uh, of, the, of Manhattan. And because they're sort of originally bred for cliff faces and... Um, you know, they suit the sort of steep valleys in between the avenues of New York and they swoop down and catch these birds. And at 200 miles an hour they go when they catch wow. a, when they catch pigeons and pick them to pieces in these little New York squares for the entertainment of the locals. But, wow. you know, in the British cliffs, they're in their natural They're in their natural habitat. habitat. So um, a, a sort of squad of... Peregrines. Peregrine shooters yeah. were sent out to kill, yeah. to, to cull the, yes. the peregrines and, so that they wouldn't be killing... The British yes. pigeons, but of course, what that meant was. <laughs> of course, we can see what's coming. It's like the parrots of the Eiffel Tower. The German <laughs> pigeons could get across. Yeah. So then they reintroduced yes. <laughs> the peregrine falcons. Yes. Yeah, to... well, yeah, so the peregrine falcons were just eating any pigeon, frankly. They're, yeah, they're, well, funny enough, not, they weren't that discerning. It wasn't, they weren't clear about which side they're on in this war. <laughs> they were very much Switzerland or Sweden. Sort of mercenary pigeons, <laughs> they <were> really. Like, <laughs> they're like, you're all as bad as each other. Um, so, yeah, so they, the, the, the notion of um, training up these peregrines to um, kill pigeons that, uh, that the Germans might be using sort of went awry. There were loads of um, gamekeepers and uh, people who had it in for pigeons anyway, who mm -hmm. were sort of really encouraging this. Yeah. And on the other side, there were sort of people who are uh, pigeon fanciers. Who, who are... I didn't know till I read this book were called the fancy. The fancy. Yeah, like, that's I've the never collective that word for pigeon fanciers. Whereas the whole, the fancy community. Yeah. <laughs> the fancy community Do were... Do you know who is a member of the fancy community in the US that I found out recently? Oh, tell me. Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson. You wouldn't think it, would you? No, pigeon you racer. Wouldn't. Okay. Well, there you go. I wouldn't take the piss out of him. No, no, don't, don't. No. Mike, whatever you want to do, that's fine by <laughs> us. So the, the, the pigeon fanciers, or the fancy, to give them the correct term, they had always been at you know, loggerheads with the hawk community, whatever <laughs> you would say. And um, but, so these people were lobbying the government for their respective interests. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and, it, and it, you know, no one's really sure if it was counterproductive or not. There were reports of loads of mystery homing pigeons going across the Scilly Isles mm. and peregrine falcons were deployed to the Scilly Isles to catch these German homing pigeons, but they never did or they just caught random pigeons. <laughs> Others in the North Sea were found with, pigeons were found with German messages on their legs, but they're not quite clear. Um, well, some they've of them just thought been released to have from... been, and also that the Germans were sending false messages yes. were sending uh, sort of counter espionage messages to, to make yes. us think that they were they might have come from a German submarine but, the other yeah. thing that pigeons were used for a lot in the war of course was for uh, rescue uh, uh calls so when an RAF plane went down the sea they'd have a pigeon to say help help we're you know when shot down over Guernsey or something and uh, several um, rescues were affected and lives saved by pigeons being so quick to get back to the loft that message received and you know a day later they were still floating really at the top of their plane it's hard to imagine isn't it in this sort yeah. of digital world that yeah. we live in that yeah. that every bomber raid that went out had a basket of pigeons in the back to say, so that if the plane went down yep yeah. 
send yeah. a pigeon. You can, you know, can get your what, iPhone I out and hope it's down reception. Using that as a, <laughs> <laughs> cheaper. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Don't give them ideas, John. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so lives were saved by pigeons, and this is why you know you read uh, in the sort of sort of more emotional uh, animals at war books about mm. how these brave pigeons saving <laughs> lives and they were determined to battle on through the shell and the shrapnel and Why coming back into... Why you say that? You know, there was a couple, uh, Mary of Exeter. Yes. It's a very famous war pigeon. Mary of Exeter. Um, she was from Exeter, I, you know, oh. called Mary. <laughs> and she... Um, she flew loads of military missions. Uh, she was with the National Pigeon Service, so she wasn't a, a, a spy one. pigeon as no. such. Um, but she did transport messages across the channel um, back to her loft in Exeter, yep. where she was from. And uh, she was given the Dickin Medal, which is a medal that's awarded for brave animals. Okay. Um, for showing endurance on war service, despite being injured on three occasions and emerging uninjured when her loft was bombed. Oh, so Mary. bless Mary of Exeter, a, a guy called Charlie Brewer, who was a cobbler. He was her owner. Right. And um, he, you know, his loft was commandeered, I suppose, yes. with everyone else's uh, during that time to carry these top secret messages. Mary made four trips from France to England okay. with messages. Um, she died in 1950 and he's buried in Ilford Animal Cemetery. There you go. Okay. Well, let's see, the British um, are very fond of their animals and there is this great big... Uh, uh, memorial in Park Lane to animals at war, which was sort of funded by Jilly Cooper, I think, or uh, a, 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 the organisation of the fund was by Jilly Cooper. And I did find myself around that time at the National Book Awards, sat next to Jilly Cooper, and I was a bit drunk. And uh, just to wind, uh, just to wind up my publisher, because we share a publisher, I was going, Jilly, I think it's so marvellous that you've raised all this money for animals at war. I cannot think of a better cause than animals that died in the war. My publisher's going, cut, cut, John, you've had a few drinks. No, I can think of all the charities in the world, Jilly. I can't think of a more deserving cause than animals that died 60 years ago. It's the it's the main thing. It's like, Did she John, get that you were taking yeah, a piss? No, she was just going, oh, darling, you're so sweet, darling. It's so important, isn't it? It's these darlings, they're brave little dogs. They did so much. And uh, um, so I hope Jilly isn't a listener. Oh, I do, we're going to get give tweets you, about we this, We are going to get people having a go at me for taking the piss out of fundraising for dead animals. But there might be more important things in the world. But anyway, we are focused on these brave pigeons who battled through shrapnel well, she was attacked by uh, German hawks. She right. had wounds to her neck and breast. She was shot um, and then went back to service. She was shot with uh, three pellets removed from her wing okay. and then went back. So she was pretty brave. So when I was a kid, I used to watch Dick Dastardly and catch the pigeon. I was thinking, <laughs> what's the deal with the pigeon? Why does he? Why is he so mad about catching this now pigeon? Now you know. Now I know that pigeons had valuable messages on them, and Dick Dastardly presumably was working for the Nazis, and that's the Almost subtext certainly. of the whole thing. But <laughs> why? I suddenly understand that pigeons have a, now have sort of uh, 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 the messages have a value. But back then, I just thought it's completely nuts that he wants this bird, and he's, he's you know so in, going to such lengths. Uh, that we, it sustained an American cartoon series for about 10, 10 series. But anyway, um, sorry, you were talking more important, serious things. These uh, Mary Vexter, the other one, the Hawks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. William of Orange was another war pigeon. Uh, okay. He was with MI14. Okay. And uh, what did he do? Got a Dickin medal as well for delivering a message from the Arnhem Airborne Operation. Oh. So when the Battle of Arnhem, of Arnhem was happening, yeah. Um, uh, the the Brits on the bridge were surrounded yes. and just couldn't get any radio messages back yes. uh, to let people at home know they were in big trouble. Yes. And uh, William of Orange the Pigeon took the message back, right. contained in a small three millimetre tube using thin paper. 
And he compiled detailed sketches of enemy lines with up to 5,000 words of explanation on the oh, wow. thing and went back and... Um, and and we still lost the Battle of Arnhem. But um, the thing is that uh, they had thought that they wouldn't need pigeons because they'd have Morse code and they'd have uh, radio, radio transmissions. transmissions. But, you know, uh, in war, things go wrong very quickly and no plan survives the first shot being fired. Um, so if you've got old-fashioned pigeons that can fly very quickly, they can go faster than a, uh, a dog or a man on a bicycle, and, you know, they, they fly at 60 miles an hour, these pigeons, and they, 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 they get back they, pretty quickly. They get back straight away. A, a little bell would go off in the loft. So when we say they were commandeered, these lofts, I think the owners still were responsible for looking after their pigeons. It's just that they were sort of, you know, pressed into a war service and yeah. were not told what these messages were, not allowed to open the messages. That's right. They were just... Um, a courier would come on to their yeah, house on a motorbike, pick the, up the message. Yeah, not the pigeon. They'd be deconnected from the pigeon, of yes, course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the pigeon wasn't the flapping around off. the office. <laughs> so, yeah, a little bell would wake them up in the middle of the night if the pigeon arrived home. Yeah. Uh, because the, the, it was connected to the door of the pigeon loft. And there they were... Um, with a message and these people didn't know these pigeon keepers didn't know quite how valuable the service of their pigeons was they could only guess not until presume. after the war yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and there was also the pigeons were uh transported to uh across france in sort of converted buses these like double-decker buses were converted into pigeon coops mm. uh mobile pigeon coops um by horses more in the first world war that than the second world war but um they had them taken to uh, battle zones and then uh, just in case they needed to release them. And always you'd release more pigeons, you know, more than one. I mean, I will say, John, an iPhone's easier to put in your pocket, isn't it? It is. You're, 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 we've <laughs> I mean, come a long sure way. they were great. We've come a long way. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Um, uh, but even now, you see, I, um, after the war, there was talk of... Um, uh, arming pigeons. The Russians experimented with um, uh, bomb pigeons. Bomb pigeons, or or sort of loading pigeons up with some sort of uh, uh, biological yes um, uh, uh, warfare for spreading disease and things. If um, yes. there were lots of, of ideas were mooted for using pigeons yeah, yeah. after. Imagine all of them with a two ounce explosive, all headed to the same place. The devastation that this was caused. This was one yeah. of the things suggested. Uh, uh, sort of pigeons that would be, you know, self detonating on the first. The first this pigeon will self destruct. Uh, yes, that's right. Which is pretty nutty. Yeah. But, and, um, and pretty cruel. Yeah. Oh no. I have to say, the life of the pigeons seemed to feature fairly low down the agenda in, yes. in these things. And of course, many of the pigeons dropped will have not been found, would have died of thirst or starved to death inside their baskets. Absolutely. Um, and the ones that went over to the Germans were, you know, as we say, put in with false messages from the Germans. The resistance worked out. The French resistance worked out what the Germans were doing yes. with these um, phony messages because the, the, the Germans were, they didn't have any copies of the Daily Mail surprisingly the nazis uh, they had uh, so um uh the germans would put a packet of english cigarettes in the baskets as it to make it look like it had come from england yeah um the french cottoned onto this the french cottoned they had a they had a slogan slogan is it fumer les cigarettes manger le, le pigeon, pigeon. So, yeah so the french resistance said if you find one with cigarettes in Smoke the fags, eat the eat the pigeons. Eat the pigeon. So, so that was that was that was the message. So because they, they that's that was the giveaway, the cigarettes. They worked that one out, uh, and then um, it should be said that um, 
you know, it did make a direct military difference. Uh, you know, uh, gun emplacements were bombed because Belgians said or French said this is where it is. If a town was captured and the uh, RAF was about to bomb it, but the British forces had just moved in that day, yep. the only way to get that message out quickly was a pigeon. And there were instances they of... They didn't get uh, that. Where the, where, no, there were instances of where the pigeons did. Ah. It just, just was like five minutes before the plane took off. They got the message saying, no, it's in our... It's in our hands now. Don't bomb this place because you'll be bombing British soldiers. You know, when um, time is of the essence like that, the pigeons, 60 mile an hour flight back to the uh, pigeon loft and the motorbike going down to London to get this message to the war office. That, was that made the still difference. Still the quickest between, way yeah, to that get that message back. Made the difference between British uh, occupying forces being bombed or not. Mm. So, uh, so lives were saved by pigeons and um, uh, air crews were rescued by pigeons. Yep. And, um, you know, resistance fighters lost their lives for giving messages back to uh, Britain and uh, letting us, letting the British, you know, uh, secret services know what the exactly land what was the Germans, Germans were up, up to. to. Yeah. So is there anything else you would need to say about the pigeons in the war, birds in the war? I think we've pretty much... I, I, think, we've, uh, I think we've covered it. I think covered should... it. I will say, do go... Uh, Bletchley Park has a brilliant um, display about pigeons at war and they've got examples of the pigeon parachutes that they... You so do go along and have a look. I mean, it's a great day out anyway, Bletchley yes, Park. If yes, you're a history absolutely. nerd, um, and if you're ha if you happen to be anywhere near Worthing on the yes. south coast, there is a park, Beach House Park, I believe yes. it's called, in Worthing, where they have a uh, a memorial, a pigeon oh, yes. memorial called the Warrior Birds. I mean, um, the one final postscript I'll say to this, Andrew, is there was someone did. They're so proud of their pigeon thing in Britain that one somebody got in trouble and got court marshaled for talking about it too much. Uh, the Viscount here who told the two girl guide leaders. Oh, um, yes. oh gosh, I yeah, forgot about the mad it. Viscount. Yeah, the mad Viscount and he's poor, and then in his defence, so he, he told two girl guide leaders who were uh, two brown owls, the bird theme, you see, um, <laughs> at Baden Powell House. He was sort of showing off about this thing and he, they, he sort of blabbed too much about it. So he got in a court martial. And in his defence, it was said that he had a very difficult childhood. His mother <laughs> used to... Uh, Build a big nest in the front room and wear a beak but, and sit in it. <laughs> so I thought that needed including in this history of birds in warfare. I don't think uh, we're going to get we're going to top that uh, on this particular <laughs> podcast. But yeah, if you um, want to read more about it, read the book uh, "Secret Pigeon Service" by Gordon Carrera. Uh, I wish there were a dozen films and um, uh, other further reading uh, to give you, but there isn't much more about it. But as you say, mm. visit Bletchley Park, read the book. Go and, and look at the memorial. And next time you see a, a, a pigeon with something attached to its leg, think of it. Yeah, and maybe next messages. time a pigeon poos on you in the street. Yes. Just think, well, they have their uses. They do. Thank so. you, pigeons. <laughs> We're having pigeon pie for lunch. That's all from this episode of We Are History. And Thanks for listening. Don't forget, you can tweet us or get in touch with us if you want to. If there's anything, any bits of history you want us to talk about, um, you want to correct, shout. If you want to correct our history in an annoying way. Yeah, because they'll almost certainly, we've misremembered things. Remember, we are not experts. Yep. That's our, <laughs> we it's, are nerds, not experts. So uh, We Are History Pod is the Twitter at handle. We Are History Pod on Twitter and Instagram, or you can email us, wearehistorypod at gmail.com. Or send a message by pigeon. Or send a message <laughs> by pigeon. That's all for this episode. See you next time. Bye.